You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. Maybe you have experienced this. I know I have experienced this. You struggle through a circumstance. You struggle through an affliction. You struggle through a trial. You struggle through an illness. It's so dark. It's so foreboding. It's so ominous and scary. You don't know what the future holds. You don't know what to think. You think you can't continue. You don't think you have the strength to make it another moment, let alone another day. Your heart is heavy with grief. Your bones are weary from mourning. And you have great, great sorrow. With so much sorrow in our world, how can you possibly find joy? In today's message with Pastor Dave, he shares the transformation that can occur when you place your life in the hand of the Lord. Your troubles and heartache won't go away, but the Lord offers hope, peace, and strength to get through sorrows. Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of John chapter 16 as he begins his message, From Sorrow to Great Joy. The Gospel of John. We're going to move on into the Gospel of John, and we're looking at verses 16 through 22. So if you will turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of John, chapter 16, beginning in verse 16 to 22. Remember, Jesus is still speaking. A little while, and you will not see me. Then again, a little while, and you will see me because I go to the Father. And some of his disciples said among themselves, what is this that he says to us? A little while you will not see me, and again a little while you will see me, and because I go to the Father. They said, therefore, what is this that he says a little while? We do not know what he is saying. Now Jesus knew that they desired to ask him, and he said to them, are you inquiring among yourselves about what I said a little while, and you will not see me, and again a little while, and you will see me? Most assuredly, I say to you that you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice, and you will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned into joy. A woman, when she is in labor, has sorrow because her hour has come, but as soon as she has given birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. Therefore, you now have sorrow. But I will see you again, and your heart will rejoice, and your joy no one will take from you. So I'm going to address something that is on my heart and something that we've all experienced. Something that we have all experienced in our lives. Something that none of us is immune to. Something that we can't avoid as we go through this world. And that is... Sorrow. Sorrow. If you have never felt sorrow, praise God. But maybe this will prepare you for when you will. Notice I didn't say if you will. I said when you will. So what is sorrow? Well, sorrow is nothing more than the emotion 
It's a deep feeling of distress. It's caused by loss. It's caused by disappointment. It's caused by misfortune, which is either suffered by ourselves or suffered by those we love or those around us. In times of sorrow, we tend to say things like, I can't believe this has happened. I can't believe this is happening to me. I can't seem to let go of this problem. I'm overwhelmed. I am deeply saddened by what has occurred. Why why has this happened to me? These are all expressions of sorrow. In today's text, Jesus uses the word sorrow, and it comes with two Greek meanings. It comes with two Greek meanings, and I believe that both apply, although the second one is applied in this verse. And the first one is lupe, meaning heaviness. If you've ever been in a sorrowful state, it's heavy. You feel heavy. You feel burdened because you're so sorrowful. The the second word for sorrow is penthos. And this actually means mourning. The sorrow which is accompanying mourning. What is it? It's basically pain in the body. Sorrow is pain in the body or the heart. It is deep distress. It also can be an outward expression of grief. It can be an outward expression of lamentation or sadness or unhappiness, dejection, regrets, heaviness of heart, low in spirit, and even brokenheartedness. These things, unfortunately, are part of life, and we all suffer them from time to time. Throughout the Bible, we read of people who are in the midst of sorrow, people who are dealing with sorrow, and my thoughts naturally go to Jeremiah. Jeremiah was known as the weeping prophet. He was known as the weeping prophet, Jeremiah, God's chosen prophet, a great preacher, a man who was extremely faithful to the servant of God, but he was rejected by the very people that God had sent him to, very much like our man of sorrows, Jesus Christ. Israel refused to hear Jeremiah's message and had nothing but scorn for him, eventually throwing him into a pit and leaving him to die. Jeremiah suffered the horrors of all that was wrong in Israel. He knew that the nation was on the brink of going into captivity to Babylon. But people were not listening to him. And in his deepest sorrow, in his deepest time of woe, the Lord comes to Jeremiah He he comes to Jeremiah, and in this beautiful, beautiful verse, seems to give him encouragement, seems to give him this uplifting that we all need in a time of sorrow. You know the scripture very well. In fact, many of you quote it from time to time. Many of you have it on your refrigerator doors. He says in 2911, for I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and go and pray to me, and I will listen to you. And you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. I will be found of for you, says the Lord. Beautiful, beautiful encouragement to Jeremiah in his time of need. Jeremiah went on to write a book called Lamentations. And this book, Lamentations, was nothing more than a weeping book. It was a book of sorrow. It was a book of weeping, yet 
In this book of Lamentations, in chapter 3, 21, we also see what Jeremiah says about this. He says, this I recall to my mind, therefore I have hope. Through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says the soul. Therefore, I hope in him. Wow. Wow. Jeremiah recognized the Lord's mercies. He recognized the Lord's compassion. He recognized the Lord's faithfulness. And he applied it to himself. And this got him out of his sorrow. Got him out of his woe. Read through the book of Psalms. Specifically, Psalm 13, Psalm 42, Psalm 43. These are psalms of sorrow. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why are you disquieted within me? These are psalms of sorrow. Sorrow is common to all men and women. In fact, no one is exempt from the arms of sorrow. And you know what? It can strike at any time. Sorrow can strike at any time. But in one of the psalms, There's a beautiful, beautiful scripture here, which many of you have used. Many of you have said to each other. Many of you have told each other this when you know that someone is in a time of sorrow. And it be compounded in Psalm 30 and verse 5. Simply says, weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. I love that. I love that. Maybe you have experienced this. I know I have experienced this. You struggle through a circumstance. You struggle through an affliction. You struggle through a trial. You struggle through an illness. It's so dark. It's so foreboding. It's so ominous and scary. You don't know what the future holds. You don't know what to think. You think you can't continue. You don't think you have the strength to make it another moment, let alone another day. Your heart is heavy with grief. Your bones are weary from mourning. And you have great, great sorrows. But suddenly, it's over. Suddenly, it's gone, and you've come out on the other side. All of a sudden, a transformation has occurred. Your sorrow has been transformed into joy. And that which has made you sorrowful, once is now your source of joy. You see God's hand in every single thing, and you begin to rejoice. Oh, oh, praise God, how glorious it is when God brings us through the trial. When he brings us to the other side, we come out into victory. We come out again into the glorious joy of the Lord, and we proclaim his love. We all go through trials of weeping. We go through experiences that are difficulty, and we can't see the Lord in the midst of this. We don't know the way of the Lord during the midst of the trial. We spend time weeping in prayer and travail. Our soul is travailing towards God all night long. But as morning comes, and as God breaks through, and the light shines into our heart, He begins to shower forth his love and he begins to shower forth his plan and his purpose. And oh, what joy he brings to us that the night of hardship is over. And as we have wept and travailed, the victory in Jesus is ours. And the victory comes and we have victory and we glorify in him. This is what Jesus is trying to tell his disciples today. This is what he's trying to tell them for a little while, for a little while. His disciples Poor disciples, you have to feel sorry for these guys in some way. Everything was going great. Everything was going wonderful. They're on top of the world. 
They saw healing after healing. They heard wonderful words of wisdoms. They, they work, walked with him for three and a half years and things were beautiful. And then all of a sudden, they went to supper and everything changed. Everything changed at a Passover dinner when Jesus says, guys, I'm leaving and you can't come. Jesus had told them time and time and time and time again, but they couldn't believe it. But when he said, I'm leaving, their hearts dropped. Their hearts dropped. They, heart, they became anxious. They became afraid. They began to lose hope. They, they didn't know what was going to happen. Jesus knew it immediately. And he told them, let not your hearts be troubled. And he gives them the answer. He gives them the cure for a troubled heart. He told them to believe. He told them to hold fast to what they believed in and to hold fast into whom they believed. Jesus said, the answer to your troubled heart is faith. But he knew that their hearts were so troubled that they weren't even listening to what he had to say. And he continued to promise the disciples, he said, hey guys, I'm going away, but I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to you. He's going to be your comforter. He's going to lead you into all truth. He will be with you forever. He will be with you and strengthen you and give you words to say as you witness for me. Yes, you're going to suffer. The world's going to hate you, but the Holy Spirit will bring you into that point. I'm going to the Father. I'm going to the Father. The Holy Spirit was going to come alongside you. But their hearts were broken. The disciples' hearts were broken. They were in horrible, sorrowful sadness. All they could think about was they were losing their Messiah. They were losing their Savior. They were losing their teacher. And they were losing their best friend. They were losing the one who cared more about them than they've ever had anyone care about them in their life. This is what sorrow does to us, folks. Sorrow brings tears that clouds our eyes from seeing the truth. Sorrow brings tears that helps us to not see who's in control. Sorrow keeps our heart from accepting the truth because we're dwelling upon the sorrowful event. We're dwelling upon that which has happened. And we can't see the other side. We think we see a light at the end of the tunnel, but we look closely and it has the word Santa Fe written on it. We, we don't know where we are. Jesus told his disciples many things that night as they made their way to the Garden of Gethsemane. Yes, he was leaving, but he tried to encourage them with the promise of the Holy Spirit. He tried to get them focused on what God was going to do for them. Not what the world was happening, but what God was going to do. Sorrow filled their faces, and sorrow told the story, and Jesus saw that. As Jesus looked into their eyes, all he saw was sorrow. All he saw was travail. All he saw was anguish. Maybe if you're in that situation today, when Jesus looks in your eyes, that's what he sees. He sees sorrow. He sees travail. He sees anguish because what you've been put through and what you might be now going through. So Jesus wants to comfort his disciples. So he begins in verse 16 and 18, once again, trying to comfort them. He says, a little while you will not see me. And again, a little while you will see me because I go to the Father. And then some of the disciples and some amongst themselves, what is this he says to us? A little while and you will not see me, and a little while again you will see me? And because I go to the Father? And they said, therefore, what is this he says? A little while. We do not know what he is saying. And it's interesting here. Jesus uses this term a little while seven times. Seven times, which is God's perfect number. He was trying to tell them something to get the point across to them what was going to happen. It was going to, going to be for a little while. What is he referring to? Well, many believe that he's referring to the nights he would stay in the tomb. A little while you won't see me. 
the nights that he's going to spend in the tomb. See, little did the disciple know what the disciple know what was going to happen in a very short time. In a very few hours, before sundown was over of the day they were now in, Jesus would be beyond their reach and he would be put into a dark tomb and a stone would be rolled over it. They were completely unaware of the momentous activities that was about to take place in a mere matter of hours. They would see him mocked. They would hear the crowd yelling, crucify him. They would see him hang on a cross as they watched from afar. They would see a soldier stick a spear into his side. Maybe they were close enough to watch from the shadows as his body was wrapped and placed in the tomb and the stone was rolled over it. Oh, what great sorrow would come over them. Their Savior had died. Jesus was gone and he wasn't coming back. Where was he? Jesus says, a little while and you will see me. And then he says, and then a little while, a little while you won't see me. And then he says, a little while you will see me. And now he's speaking about the resurrection. Little did they know that three days later he would raise from the dead. And they would see him again. He desired to tell them about these things, but they couldn't understand. Why couldn't they understand? Because their hearts were too full of sorrow. Their hearts were too full of grief to grasp what Jesus was saying. How could our Messiah be put to death? This doesn't fit my preconceived notion. But notice the main concern of the disciples. The main concern of the disciples wasn't really that Jesus was going away. Their main was, concern was, how long are you going to be gone? Yeah, you're going away. And he said, a little while, how long? We want to know how long it's going to be. Jesus said, a little while, you'll see me no more. And his disciples immediately picked on the phrase, a little while. And their hearts clutched with fear. They said to themselves, what does he mean? Their attention is on, well, on that as well as his words, I'm going to the Father. Why does this have to happen? What does this mean? He's going to the Father. And here again, he's relating the relationship to his, uh, the relationship with the Father, the resurrection, and then his eventual ascension into heaven. You see, their focus of their concern is on the when and the why. Their focus is not on the who. The focus is on themselves and how everything is going to affect them. I don't know about you, but I've been there. And had I been there that day, I would have asked the same thing. I would have asked the same question. Why? Because I'm always concerned about how long the trial is going to last. How long do I have to go through this, Lord? How long are you going to be silent? How long do I have to go through this? I mean, I want it over now. I live in a me, me, now, now society. I can go to, I can go to McDonald's and get a hamburger like that. Certainly, Lord, you can take care of my problem like that. That's how we feel. How long? These are the questions we ask. Why and how long? Instead of Jesus explaining to them or them asking Jesus the question, they begin to discuss themselves. Are they embarrassed to ask him? It sounds like some kind of mystery. What do you mean a little while you'll be gone, a little while we'll see you? It sounds like double talk. It sounds like a paradox. You know, it's amazing how when you don't have all the facts, you can be so confused. You realize when you don't have all the facts of things are going on, you're very, very confused, and you often make the mistake of, of a judgment on incomplete evidence. I am amazed at how many people have opinions and make judgments on issues when they only have partial facts. They don't have all the information, but they make a judgment. Jesus could perceive their confusion, so he tenderly seeks to clarify them. He tenderly seeks to show them the events that will soon transpire. 
Jesus answers the troubles, disciples. He ignores the whole matter of time. Let's read 19 and 20. Now Jesus said to them that they, Jesus knew that they desired to ask him. And he said to them, are you inquiring among yourselves about a little while and you will see me again and a little while you will see me? Most assuredly, I say to you that you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice and you will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned to joy. I love the patience that Jesus has with his disciples. I really do. He didn't look at them and go, you knuckleheads, what's wrong with you? How come you don't understand this? That's not Jesus. He didn't say that. I would say that, but Jesus didn't say that. He patiently and tenderly explains their emotional trauma that they are about to experience. You're going to go through an emotional time. His answer stresses the process and that the result is going to follow. Yes, this is going to happen to you. This is going to happen to you. The why and the how long, I'm not worried about that. But this is going to happen to you. There's going to be a period of sorrow. It's inevitable. It will happen. I can't spare you from that, guys. That's going to happen. That's an emotion. But your sorrow will be turned to joy. Your sorrow will be turned to joy. How long it takes is not significant. The inevitable result is the most important thing. The sorrow will turn to joy. What an important lesson. Every time I come into a trial, I want to know how long, how long. The Lord's emphasis is strictly upon what is coming at the end. The joy that I will see. The joy that I will feel at the end time. There will be a time when they will weep and lament. And you will be in sorrow. And the world will be rejoicing around you, it says. Not much different today, is it? The world is opposed to Jesus Christ and everything the church stands for. The world rejoices when the church suffers. One of these churches get bombed. The people get killed. You don't see all kinds of things all over the newspapers and the, and the media. They ignore it most of the time. Jesus said the world will rejoice at his leaving. What a contrast there is between the Christian and the man of the world. What we weep over, the world rejoices over. We weep and really cry hard that in the last 57 years, millions upon millions of young babies have been killed in what the world calls abortion. But the world rejoices over their ability to choose. When we're in the midst of the suffering, the one thing we always long for is the Lord's return. Many people who are suffering will cry out, Maranatha, Lord, come quickly. Take me out of here. Matthew 9, 15 says, While the bridegroom was away, the bride mourns and is sorrowful. Jesus tells his disciples, Yeah, guys, you're going to be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned into joy. When they see the crucifixion and the entombment, they will surely be sorrowful. They will weep and they will wail. But on that third day, when they see their risen Lord, their sorrow will be turned into joy. The very thing that they will be sorrow for will be the one thing that they are rejoicing in. You are a sure 
Our time with you is coming to an end today on A Sure Hope. On our next edition, Pastor Dave Shank will continue this journey through the book of John. But for now, you can listen to more teachings from this series online at assurehoperadio.com. We encourage you to download these messages so that they are available wherever you go. You can also subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Just search for A Sure Hope and see the latest editions as soon as they're posted. If you're enjoying these teachings and would like to get more involved with the church behind this ministry, we'd love to meet you at Calvary Chapel Cape May for a time of worship and Bible study. We meet weekly on Sundays at 10 a.m. Give us a call for more information. Our number is 609-884-5821. Again, that's 609-884-5821. Otherwise, you can visit Assure Hope Radio for times and directions. If you're not able to join us in person, we're streaming our services on Facebook Live. Just look for the link on our website at assurehoperadio.com. Thanks for listening to today's message in the book of John. We pray you continue to be blessed as you study the Word and that you discover how God's doing great things in your life. We look forward to you joining us again as Pastor Dave has more to share from this book that entails where Jesus walked and the amazing wonders he performed while here on earth. He's still doing wonders today too. Come hear about that next time on A Sure Hope.